0: Welcome to The Art of Creative Living, a podcast for heart-centred creatives and entrepreneurs who want to be true to themselves, follow their heart rather than their fears, and cultivate personal freedom, self-expression and joy in their work and life. I'm your host, Nicola Newman, an award-winning artist, creative mentor and business coach, writer and founder of Flourish, The Art of Creative Living, a year-long creativity school and I'm currently cruising the east coast of Australia in a 35-foot sailboat. This podcast is for you if you're ready to be brave, follow your heart, nurture your self-belief, and bring to life what you long to create in the world. And you are listening to Episode 10 of Season 1. Today, I'm completely thrilled to share with you a very heartfelt conversation with Bronnie Ware, Best-selling author, speaker, free spirit, mother, storyteller, nature lover, teacher, songwriter, traveller and gentle rebel. She's been called many things, but above all, Bronnie is authentic and bravely lives how her own heart guides her to live, free of any such labels or expectations. I've loved Bronnie and her message from afar for years now and always hoped to get to connect with her after reading her incredible book, which you may have heard of, The Top 5 Regrets of the Dying. I was actually reading her book just at the time when we had decided to sell everything and buy a sailboat, so it was confirmation during my time of transition that this was something my heart was calling me to do. Bronnie's journey to publishing The Top 5 Regrets of the Dying is a super-inspiring one, too. After being rejected by 25 publishers, it has now sold more than a million copies, been published in 31 languages, and is also being transformed into a film. Bronnie and I had the most wonderful time chatting about the intricacies involved in following your heart. We explored everything from immersing yourself in the creative process to setting boundaries to allow you to live a life in line with your values to the importance of taking care of yourself while you create, why she left the stable world of working in finance, her practical advice to anyone wanting to reconnect with their creativity, and much more. I absolutely loved recording this episode with Bronnie. I don't recall ever speaking with someone who so clearly articulates and values the process involved in following your heart rather than your fears, as Bronnie does in this conversation. I've learnt so much from this kind-hearted woman about what truly matters in life through her words and her writing, so I'm very, very honoured to share this chat with you today. Let's dive in. Welcome, Bronnie. I am so honoured to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's a
1: pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure.
0: You, in my mind, are the epitome of someone who's embraced creative living. And by that, I mean, you've really followed your heart rather than the crowd or been frozen by your fears. And you've carved out an unconventional life that's been full of surprising twists and turns. (laughs) So I wonder if, to begin with, would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself and your life so far?
1: Um, Sure, yeah. I I grew up on a farm just outside of Tamworth, had a a lot of music in my upbringing, Um, music some of the time, and then my parents had very conventional careers, but then they also were professional musicians, so I had had the Mm. double contrast and um, went into a banking career straight into the job a job expected of me. Basically just went into a bank in Tamworth when I was in year 12 and said, I want to move to Sydney. Can I have a job? And they said, okay, and that was it. <laughs> and so two weeks after finishing school, I was living in Sydney. And, uh, yeah, I, I spent about 15 years in and out of the banking industry with a lot of dissatisfaction but just not realising that I – could make other changes just um seeing things quite set in stone and then the the pain of it drove me to doing some really major work on myself in my in my 20s and that led me to realizing that i may actually be a creative person it hadn't actually crossed my mind in fact it was probably not till i was about 30 i was sitting down by the swan river we were living in perth at the time and I was sitting down by the Swan River and I read the book. I was reading the book Creative Visualisation by Shakti Gawain mm. and it said to list five things that you're good at and five things that you love to do. And the only things that fell into both categories was numbers and, and like um, just mathematics and obviously I was working in banking so that wasn't any good with me, and uh, with my heart. And mm. the other was photography and writing and, and I just had this epiphany by the river and just thought... Dare I think I could actually be one of those creative people. <laughs> and so from there I started writing inspirational quotes and um, putting them with my nature photos. This is before the internet, um, before mm-hmm. it was a really common thing. And um, I tried uh, sold them at markets, then in the ga- galleries, and then tried to get a little book published and spent three years and all my heart trying to get that published and in the frustration of that picked up my guitar which I couldn't really play and um decided to write a song so I was 35 when I wrote my first song wow Uh, yes yeah and so that sort of steered me down the singer-songwriter path and while I was doing that I started looking after dying people because I couldn't um I couldn't face working in banking again Mm. and so I wanted a job with heart and life led me to be a companion and then a then a carer with no idea that it would become such a vital part of my my life's work and my my life and uh, my, my lessons and my blessings and
0: mm.
1: yeah so that that sort of led on the songwriting career kept going and then I Went from that to teaching songwriting in a women's jail, and I left palliative care to do that. And uh, that led me to blogging, and that led me to becoming an author, and all sorts of things in between. And my creative juices are always bursting and coming up with new ideas. But I, I get to the point where I have to say, Okay, well you know, I have to make a choice here. I cannot do every single thing Mm. um, to the quality that I want to do it. And so I make choices on in which direction to go. And some of those choices I've found in the last 12, 18 months have actually been the wrong choices and in hindsight they were heavily influenced by other people and Mm. the choices I've made where I just turn off everybody like turn off (laughs) anyone else's saying or doing and Mm. just do it my way well those are usually the successful choices.
0: Mm, Absolutely and because you have to meld those choices in as everybody does but with their amount of energy and health but for you that's an added challenge is that right? Mm, Yeah it's not not super ideal.
1: (laughs) 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 You've got to to get on with the cards you dealt Yeah so, yes, I was, I was really blessed to be able to conceive my daughter. I was uh, 44 and I conceived her naturally and quickly the second month we tried and had a very healthy pregnancy, delivered a very healthy baby at 45. And, but immediately following that, immediately following, I started getting some aches in my joints and uh, was very um, within a couple of weeks was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and thrown into a, a massive healing journey the, uh, of the last seven years. My my daughter's seven now and um, there's been a lot of highs and lows and but it really has been one of the biggest blessings ever because it's just called me into myself in mm. so many ways mm. that I was either scared of or resisting or unaware of. And, uh, yeah, so despite the fact that I, I still live with, with rheumatoid arthritis but it doesn't, control it doesn't hold me back. I mean, there was a time I couldn't I mean my my two year old daughter was helping me get dressed and helping me up off the toilet and things like that. And now we go bike riding and I swim most days and we travel and you know, there's certainly there's some restrictions in distances that I can walk and whatnot, but I um, I've come a long, long way through uh, yeah, both the natural path and the pharmaceutical path and a love and hate relationship with both. <laughs> yes, um, I can imagine. Yeah, by being mm-hmm. too blinded by one and too close to the other and then finding mm-hmm. the balance in between and realising that that God, whether God is you know the universe, life, whatever, mm-hmm. that this divine, beautiful, loving source actually works through scientists as well as naturopaths. So. <laughs> <laughs>
0: beautiful. Yeah. And um, I can relate to, I think, what you were saying, how it's drawn you inwards and helped you uncover things. Being unwell is such a, a journey of as you say, gifts and trials. And um, I had chronic fatigue for many years and it makes you become very discerning about where you're going to put your life's energy because you have, you're very aware that you've got such limited energy to choose where you focus and what's important to you. And I guess combining that with the incredible lessons that you learnt from working with uh, your clients in palliative care... I imagine you became quite clear on the values that bring you joy and fulfillment in your life. And if so, would you mind sharing what they are for you?
1: Sure. And you're right. I did because I've just faced death and realized the sacredness of of time and how it's ever decreasing. So, (laughs) Yeah, I, the priorities of joy and not wasting my energy in the wrong directions with the wrong people or whatever uh, was certainly elevated. It, it's that's an incredible blessing I've been given by so much exposure to death. Um, the things that bring me joy is having space with no plans. That's probably one of my greatest joys. Is mm-hmm. and I avoid making too many plans um, because I, I I learnt when I was at my sickest that you can't and. But what I found through that was by leaving that space, so much joy just comes in naturally anyway. And so, even though my health is is eighty you percent know, improved on what it has been, I I that became a habit of not making too many plans and leaving flexibility in them and having slow mornings, a certain amount of days a week. And um, so, space is one of my greatest joys. Uh, mm. My gorgeous daughter Eleanor who is just such a unique beautiful child I mean all children are beautiful and unique but um she's a born little leader and I said to her not long ago you know how did you get so wise how how, where did your wisdom come from and she said well of course I'm wise mum all kids are wise <laughs> well, I- Oh, duh, mom. I know it's <laughs> just a matter of fact and so yeah she's she's a joy because I'd spent so much of my adult life without a child and had let go of that idea and then it was only uh, you know six months before Eleanor came into my womb that uh, that I started having a dream of her asking to come through like I had this dream of this little girl saying hurry up I can't wait much longer and wow. I had it two or three times and so uh, having lived so much life, and that included a massive amount of travel and variety and different lifestyles, it's it, it still blows me away seven years later that this little girl that when she's saying "mum," she's actually talking to me. That yeah. I'm the grown up here, and uh, <laughs> yeah, mind you, sometimes she's she very try, tries very hard to be the boss. Um, but it's a it's an equal, loving relationship. She's my joy. My creativity is my joy when I get completely in the zone of it Mm. and travel and um and the movement that i can do which uh, the movement i enjoy the most is swimming and push bike riding so Mm. um between all of that there's there's a lot of joy and hanging out with loved ones of course i shouldn't forget my loved ones (laughs) but um (laughs) but on an individual basis
0: yeah just uh
1: movement creativity joy and space
0: Mm. Mm, they're beautiful, <laughs> um, and, nat-
1: and nature. I shouldn't. Oh my yes. goodness! I, everything I do is is connected to nature. to my connection to the earth. Yeah, every yeah. everything I do, even sitting here looking out the window at the garden. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. It comes through um, so strongly in your Instagram account, your absolute love of nature and um, and also in your books as well. I was just rereading the introduction to the top five regrets of the dying and you thanked the magpie that was sitting in the tree near you. And I was like, <laughs> yes, I love that. You know, it's, mm-hmm. um, it's such an important part if it's something that you feel connected to and not everybody does do that I find that fascinating no mm.
1: no and I for me I it's not even that I'm necessarily conscious of it all the time it's just a part of who I am and so you know I can't express myself without that mm. that sort of aspect um or I can but it just doesn't feel complete
0: I wonder if growing up um in Tamworth and where you could play in the bush and get outside a lot would have influenced that because i read books where people who might have grown up in New York and whatnot they're feeling a lot more disconnected and they can feel afraid of nature and um, mm. it's a foreign concept for me like you I grew up playing in the bush and it's I feel quite disconnected yeah. if I'm not able to, to touch the earth or be near trees and things or, or the water. Yes. In my life. The, yes
1: mm. some element of nature I think it is I, I definitely think it is because I You know, I I grew up on a 326-acre farm and... Mm Um, and it was just incredible. I mean, we, it was like out, outside you go, get out, we'll see you at lunchtime. And then as soon as lunch is over, get out, we'll see you at dinner time. And, <laughs> and so us kids were, we were just left to do whatever. And that meant dealing with brown snakes and it meant riding our horses to, you know, if I decided to go visit a neighbor, a friend off the bus, she was like about three K's away. And I'd just jump on my horse bareback and go and not tell anyone. I'd just <laughs> ride up the dirt roads and turn up at her place and, occasionally my mum might ring and say you know it's Bronnie there we, we don't know where she is yeah yeah she's here she's been here a couple of hours and mm-hmm. um, yeah so and in Tamworth it's massive for the it's got a massive sky and uh, it's actually known in Trivial Pursuit as people think it's known mostly for the country music capital but it's actually known for its sunsets in uh, Trivial mm-hmm. Pursuit and I had sunrise from my pillow. I woke up to sunrise in, shining into my bedroom window and a completely uninterrupted sky all the way to sunset. And I think that between the being on the land and then the love of the sky, it, it just mm. became a part of my natural essence.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. You haven't got buildings obscuring everything between No, you. nothing. Mm. Our
1: nearest neighbour was about two k's away,
0: yeah. Mm. And what... Role would you say expressing your creativity plays in your life? How how does it support you and enrich your life?
1: Uh, It brings me alive. It just it just ignites hope. Um, It's exciting. It's it's so exciting when I'm in creative mode. I just, it, it, as you well know, it's, it's such a state of presence and with that presence can naturally come bliss and, and joy and everything else. I just, there, there's so much to, to working for yourself that doesn't involve creativity. And so for the time that's allocated for, for my creative outlets, it's just, it's a, a happy drug. You, know, mm-hmm. you just, you just. As soon as I make my my licorice tea and I sit down and I know that, okay, it's not an admin day today. It's it's a creative day. I'm just over the moon instantly, and all of a sudden, you know, five hours has gone. <laughs> oh my gosh, I got to get out the door. I got to get
0: this <laughs>
1: um, Yeah, it's it's a a, a a feeling of excitement and presence that mm. that I just that nothing else can give me. Yeah
0: and what's your process look like these days I know you uh, shared very generously in your newsletter recently that you're embarking on a new creative project perhaps you'd like to share a little bit about that
1: sure yeah there's actually another one has arisen since then as well since the newsletter it's a it's a massive time of creative birth for me and um but, yeah, I've decided to write a novel and uh, it was just a, a one-second idea that just came out of nowhere. And I had actually asked my publisher, Hay House, if I could write a novel a few years ago and and read. The the boss of Hay House Worldwide said, okay, well, let me guess. If you're going to write a novel, the main character will be all about you. And he said, tell me about the main character. And I said, oh, she's got a disease. <laughs> <laughs> and it basically came down to the fact that I didn't want to write another memoir. I had shed so much of myself in Five Regrets mm-hmm. that I really didn't want to write another memoir. But the story wanted to be told, mm-hmm. and he just said, "Bronnie, write the memoir," and and I did. And I'm that's Bloom, and mm-hmm. I'm so mm-hmm. so glad I did because it's um, it's helped a lot of people. Not it's it's not just about disease; it's about surrender, and mm-hmm. uh, and it's helped a lot of people. So it was, and it was beautiful for me to write it in the end. So. It was beautiful
0: for me to read it, so I'm glad that you wrote it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Great. (laughs) That's what we hope. Um, And of course, there's a you know collection of short stories in between all that with your year for change, which is my beloved middle child in the shadow of of five regrets. But the novel, um, it's nothing about me now. I guess it, it will be, of course. I mean, the main character lives in a a dry climate so straight away I'm sort of thinking south of Tamworth and um in in my visuals not not that Tamworth is a town connected to her but in the visuals I sort of see different old roads I used to know and um yeah so I decided to write a novel I've never written a novel so the first thing I did within 10 seconds of of making that decision I googled how to write (laughs) write a novel. <laughs> love it it doesn't matter that i've you know published three books and yes. all the rest it goes with that it's and it, then it was like how many words in a novel how many words in a chapter of a novel yes. character development of a novel and did all of that and and made collated all the notes that i that i resonated with then i read them all and thought okay that's a framework, you know, a bit of a guideline. Now I let go of all of that and just do it myself with that knowledge in the background. And Mm. because I, I really am not a good rule follower. I've never been a good rule follower and I really don't want my creativity stifled by thinking, oh, gosh, have I covered this bit? Have I covered that? Have I got the third peak of the main character's crisis? You know, it's like, oh, gosh, let let the character just lead me and let's see where we go. So it's a long-term plan and uh, and I'm not putting myself under pressure. I have mentioned to my publisher that I'm writing it and they're not generally fiction publishers. And so – and I had said that. I said, look, I'm not even thinking about the publishing journey because I don't want – Any commitment and pressure, I just want Mm. to have joy in the process of creating and that's what it is. So that's that's beautiful.
0: That is beautiful. It's the best way to create too, isn't it?
1: It is, (laughs) yeah, without thinking about the outcome or how it will be perceived or whatever. And, I mean, in my mind I'm already thinking, maybe I'll make it a series. Yeah, I'll make it a series, you know. (laughs) So we're talking like a 10-year plan here, not just get a book out in two years' time. It's It's a big big journey so it may or may not evolve to a series i'm not thinking that far ahead and it doesn't matter
0: yeah yeah Yeah. enjoying the process yes i love giving yourself um the space, coming, circling back to space again, but the space and not taking, having the expectation that needs to be completed within a certain time frame is mm. beautiful. Feels like, but a it is
1: a, it, It's beautiful, but it is a luxury, and you have to of really course. sort of stop and think: Can I afford this luxury of time and finances and everything else? Because the money, the book won't make me any money for at least three years, mm. and so you know, sometimes with creativity, we we have to um, be discerning about that and think: Okay. This is my, um, you know, and allocate the time. This is my joyful creativity. Mm -hmm. This is, or this is my open, unended creativity. And this is my project creativity with a goal attached, Mm -hmm. you know. And I think that that, that's actually necessary sometimes because I think all of us as creative, any any of us who have honored our creative calling, we would happily just be creative all day long, but we have to eat.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. You know, we have
1: to eat and we have to honour the growth of our of ourselves.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And you can sort of layer those projects on top of each other but with different timeframes in mind and, and understanding that some need to be launched in two months' time and they're going to have to be completed to the best of your ability between now and then and then others. Yes, are, Yeah, for your own personal expression and exploration and growth and development on a... Um, Heart level and and also skill level.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah, but just as valid in our life's journey.
0: Mm. And I think we can. I think that I see sometimes it's easy to let those projects slide because they don't have the immediate um, financial return. And it's there are times in our life when we don't have the space to create those things. But also, I think that it's a they can be neglected because it's not something that's. Um, i'm trying to think of the word but cherished i suppose or prioritized in our culture and and not really understood either and um so we end up spending time doing things that are a bit more immediate gratification and we can miss out on that longer term vision Hmm.
1: Yeah, and it's a good point you make. They're not understood, that people won't always understand how you can be so passionate about something that may or may never, you know, may or may not be seen by anybody or be experienced by anybody else. And and if it is, it may or may not make you any money. Yes. uh, Yeah, but those things are... You know, to to not have an agenda on some creative projects is, I think, is is very freeing and vi- and it's very it's vital to mm. to have that um, growth in our creative self.
0: Mm. And it can then um, flow over into our other projects because of the joy of of prioritising our own voice and expression and following that crumb of curiosity, and it uh, can give us energy in the other day to day things too. It
1: sure does. It's not separate. It all overlaps, yes.
0: Mm. Mm, I love all of that, Bronnie. Um mm. <laughs> And I have uh, enjoyed following through your beautiful three books, and I have read all three books, and they're all on my Kindle so I can take them with me on the boat here, um, how you've really embraced having different creative seasons in your life. And by seasons I mean times when you were so invested in your musical life and writing songs and playing at festivals and things. And then that shifted and you allowed yourself to step into a new season and, and uh, perhaps it's been more about writing later on in your journey. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that experience for you, for you and if it's been a conscious decision or something that just happened and unfolded naturally over time.
1: I think for any of us, it does unfold quite naturally. Um, So I can't say that I would be out gigging all the time now if I had the choice because there was a lot I didn't love about it. So the way my life circumstances went and I was called to the author's path was an incredible blessing because it's much more comfy for me to work from home and just enjoy gentleness rather than be out trying to get the – the attention of an audience who's watching the boxing at the, in, on the big screen at the pub, you know. Um, But as it turned out, I I had to uh, surrender my music in the way that I knew it because through being ill with rheumatoid arthritis, my hands don't work the way they used to. And they're doing really well, but there are um, probably three fingers on both hands or three or four on both hands that, that don't bend as fully as they used to. And a couple of them hardly bend at all. So, you know, I can't play the guitar like I did. And I have this little contraption that this amazing Irish guy made. It's um, that you put on the end of your guitar and you just hold a lever then and it gives you five chords that you can play. Uh, One of the audience members at one of my um, events came and told me about it, so I bought it. It it is great, but it's not the same. Mm -hmm. It's just the, the creativity can't flow through my left hand at all. And I can still finger pick a little bit on the right, but not to the quality of Music that I was putting out by then, and yeah, so it's been quite a journey of grief to to actually let go of that old chapter. But because there were so many other bits about that music chapter that I didn't like, I I was able to do it. And I, I didn't really have a lot of choice. I had a baby, and I was in chronic pain, and I it was just like, oh, whatever, I, you know just deal with this. <laughs> my book had taken off, and it was like, oh, it's only now that my daughter's a bit older and. um I, f- I really feel like I'm at a complete beginning again right now and that's a lovely feeling and even last night I've got a cousin I rang up two nights ago said I'm coming to visit your cousin he's my favorite cousin one of my best mates and so last night we set out in the backyard and he's playing music and I played a couple with, with Cordelia the guitar machine thing on the end and Eleanor sung and played a little bit on her guitar and it was so lovely just to have mm-hmm. live music in our backyard and, um, and you know, I keep getting blessings like that that inspire me to keep trying to play but my, my dream now with my music is just to be able to get back to being able to play without the guitar machine on the end of it, you know, just to be able mm-hmm. to to play but I think even without that, Nicola, that... Um, I think we do go through seasons and if we hold on too tightly to what has brought us joy, then Mm. we're closing ourselves off to what else could bring us joy Mm. and I've definitely been guilty of that and and I'm, you know, I'm consistently working through resistance about having a public profile and Mm. um, just wanting to live a quiet life in the bush and step away from everything but life calls me to continue sharing my message and it just gives me lessons that say you're not actually meant to hide away forever you've you know you've done well you've created a life where you get that space and that privacy and you're doing it on your own terms but sometimes you actually you know connection is so important and so yeah I'm, i mean i'm i 'm an author now I, writing is a a great love and i 'll probably possibly always write but whether writing is always the main thing I do in future. I've got no idea, and I'm I'm open to differences now because I've learned through the music that you can think you've got got the creative journey all sussed, and in actual fact, you you know, it's the creativity <laughs> wants to wants to evolve as well into all sorts of directions or that creative expression,
0: yeah. Mm. Mm, and I think we can so easily put ourselves in a box if we've had success in one area or we've been down a certain path for a number of years and then we can attach our identity to that and then, um, as you say, we can – if we – and there's, there's an industry all around that as well, so there's peers and the whole gamut that comes with it um, and we can mm. cut ourselves yes. off from – Opening up to the other joys of other creative practices that might be more suitable to this next season of our life. When you've got a daughter and you need to be at home and you, you can't be out singing at pubs and mm. regardless of. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, that your, your hands won't allow you to at this stage, too. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. We've
1: we've just got to keep keep opening up to it. And mm-hmm. there's one of my songs on my first album is called uh, the first album's called Sunshowers But one of the songs is called Let Yourself Be Surprised. And uh, and it came from a friend of mine one day when I was in my twenties. And I said to him, he was quite quite a bit older. I said, do you think it gets any easier? He said, Oh God, no, Bronnie. He said, it doesn't get easier. You just become more equipped to deal with it. And I said, oh, okay, okay. And I must have been in a rough time or something. And he said, but you've got to let yourself be surprised sometimes too. You know, sometimes life's got some really good surprises for you. Don't don't think you've got to work it all out yourself. Let yourself be surprised. And so I ended up, that that became a bit of a mantra for me. And 10 years later, I wrote a song called Let Yourself Be Surprised. And I stay with that now. I, I just think, okay, well, at this point at 52, you know, when I was 21 and, married to a shocking in a ma- shocking marriage with a mortgage at like 19 and thought my life was all sorted and whatever and now you know and thought I'd just be a banker and a mother and everything by the time I was 30 And then it's all ended up this way and I travel with this amazing kid and, you know, she's got a gold card for frequent flyers and (laughs) (laughs) I've got a platinum and, you know, it's it's just we've got to let ourselves be surprised because there are so many lifetimes we can fit within one life.
0: Mm. And I think part of that uh, letting yourself be surprised is uh, trusting the process and stepping into the unknown. When something calls to you and it might – seems scary and you don't know how it's all going to come together and i can imagine that that's happened for you many times over in your journey and i'd love to hear about how you navigate through those times when you might be feeling afraid or um Mm. unsure of your next step yeah there's been plenty.
1: Um, they've nearly all been money related mm. um, in the sense that I've had a project and I haven't known how to pull it off. Mm. And one that you would have read about is um, the night before I was due to start recording my first album, I had no money. And this woman just came into my life out of the blue and gave me five grand cash two days later. Yeah. Um, just before I started the songwriting program in the, in the jail, um, I I was without a car for a year or two before that and in palliative care your wage is very inconsistent because your people die and you need a rest and then you get back into it and it was very low wages as well and I was unqualified in anything and uh and then, out of the blue, I was. Someone gave me money for a car, a van, so I could carry the equipment to the jail. And uh, yes, yeah, so I was given basically given a car um, at the eleventh hour. Always at the at the eleventh hour. And what I found, and I mean, there's been the smaller ones leading up to that, even not knowing where I was going to eat, if how I was going to eat, or where I was going to sleep, and just goodwill coming my way out of the blue. So what i've found is every time i take a leap of faith well basically i just keep honoring my heart mm. and i try and get logic completely out of it which is really hard you know mm. it puts it makes it hard on yourself as well as dealing with with getting rid of logic sometimes but for me logic often gets in the way if i try and think of logical ways I, it's just not how my life really works it works by faith and Mm -hmm. so if i just keep i just get this message that is so clear in my heart that i have to do this and this is the time to do it then i just start taking the steps toward it and um and then hope and trust that that something will come and save me and make it possible, the extra, the missing pieces. And it is a process of surrender and it's a process that I sometimes hate passionately where I think, Mm. oh, my goodness, Bronnie, why can you not just not be, you know, use logic and just take the the regular steps and da-da-da-da-da. But when I sit back and look at the times I've done that, my projects haven't worked. They've failed or cost me a stack of money or – there's been no joy at all in them, and you know that that doesn't then trans. That feeling transfers out into the world with it. And so when I let go of all of that and just go back to my heart and what she's saying, and um, you know just the, that loving guidance, because it's such a clear relationship I have with my heart. Mm-hmm. And if I'm brave enough just to let go and let God, and just keep working towards it and be courageous. I just, you know, I deepen my practice of surrender, I deepen my faith, I work through new layers of absolute fear and terror sometimes, like how the heck is this going to pull off, you know, but I just stay with it because I know from past experience that it does. And every time it, it lands, the miracle that I'm looking for lands, every time I think, why do I doubt it? Haven't I learned this by now? Why do I even have to doubt it once? This is, life wants to support us and all we have to do is get out of the way.
0: Mm.
1: And about that process of getting out of the way, it can be quite painful and challenging, but it, it does create miracles that the logic logical mind will never be able to do.
0: I, my, I had little pricks of tears in my eyes as you were sharing all of that because it's so true <laughs> it's a process and, yes. and it can be terrifying and it is so much about surrender and trust and following your heart and I love to write about following your heart but I wonder if um and and, a, and a beautiful hearing you saying that you've got such a a con- strong connection with your heart how have you developed that connection with your heart? A lot of people, I think, are so consumed with, um, well, the noise of the world and, being, and following uh, what we're told to do. And it's, it can be difficult to carve out space, again, come back to space, um, mm-hmm. to listen to, the, to yourself and really tune into what's important to you. Do you have any practices or tips or, or stories to share around connecting with your own heart Ronnie?
1: I think um, what has strengthened it for me is the fact that I've been around death so much. Mm. And so I have a continual awareness of how sacred our time is. And that gives me the courage to follow my heart because I know that if I don't do this now, when am I going to do it? And it's not like, especially, you know, I'm in my 50s, I'm on the other side of menopause, I'm in a really amazing time in my life. And. and I, you know, I'm very grounded and, and clear on my purpose now, but I was looking after dying people in my 30s and 40s. And when you're in, in those ages, you can sort of think you've got forever. It's very easy to think uh, that time is endless or, or have an awareness, okay, death is there, but, you know, it's not for not for ages. And so because I hung out with so many dying people, even at those ages, I was given this awareness of, of how sacred time is. So I'd started thinking in my 30s and 40s like okay, if I don't do this now, when am I going to do it because I might put it off till I'm 50 or 60, but then I might regret it. And and honestly the the teachings of regrets from the dying have shaped my life in so many ways. Mm. So I think that for anyone to connect with their heart is to realize is to face the fact that they're going to die,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, because we are. And, you know, regardless of what our beliefs are of a beautiful, you know, onward journey beyond that, it, it's – the fact is, as who we are in this life, me as Bronnie, you as Nicola, you know, in this life, we are on limited time and we are going to die. And so if you do that, it lets go of all that noise mm-hmm. and or, or it starts diluting all that noise. And then the heart can be heard more clearly because all that noise is away. And then when you have that awareness of death and the sacredness of time, and not in a way that forces things before their readiness, but just not wasting time, just seeing it as a sacred, precious gift, then it, it just becomes so much more a part of your thinking. And and so the more um, you bring the time uh, issue in you know the the relevance of that, then the more you actually start saying, oh, okay, my my heart's here, you know, my heart is trying to speak. I need to create space to hear that heart speak, and that means to face the fear of that you've got to do everything yourself and you've got to fill every gap up with you know. But if I don't do this, I won't do this, and you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, create the space so that you can actually just enjoy yourself. And that, that's when those creative projects that don't have an agenda come in. You know, you either create space for me, it might be riding my bike or having a swim, a great idea will come. But it can also be through those creative projects that bring you into such a place of presence providing they're not the projects that you're just having to, you know, there's so much fear or logic attached to where the journey of the creative project. Mm. So if you can just give yourself that space to for joy, for the things that bring you joy, then you'll start hearing your heart and connecting with it more anyway.
0: Mm. Oh, beautiful. I was actually reading the top five regrets of the dying a little bit over two years ago. and, and I was right in the midst of this transition stage where I'd seen a documentary on TV. Um, actually, I was in Narrabri, <laughs> just up the road. From oh, town. right, okay. Yeah. And, yes, yeah. Um, My husband had been working in 47-degree heat and, and I was miserable living out there because I'd left my friends behind and I wasn't enjoying things. And I saw a documentary about a young couple who were living on a boat and they were sailing through French Polynesia. and. Um, I was like, that's what I think I would like to do. That looks really good. And And I said, how would you like to live on a boat? And he said, let's do it. And literally within three months, we had sold everything, sold our house. He'd quit his job. We'd sold um, our, our furniture and we'd packed things up and, board a boat and we were we'd moved on board um within three months it was crazy so in that time you. Oh my God. Good I good actually, you. thank you i actually was reading your book so i, oh, I and oh it was, gosh okay that was <laughs> but it, I, I found it after i think i found it after i'd already made the decision but while i was reading it yes. it was this wonderful confirmation that you do it now because a lot of people will we we see them and we meet them out um cruising now a lot of them are in their uh, 60s and even their 70s, um, and they've waited and they've put it off until later so that they could um, retire, you know, and do it in style. But we were like, let's do it while our, we, we don't know how our bodies are going to sustain us over the years ahead, and this is something that we'd like to do, and let's try it, and let's just jump in and once <laughs> and trust mm. that the net will appear and um, new financial. You know, uh, income streams we had to come up with and develop and move things around in the business. But it, as you say, yes. when you follow those threads of desire and and that impulse, the the universe and God and will will rally to. To meet you oh. there at the eleventh hour quite often. Yes. <laughs> and, and then the funny thing was, um, we moved on board this tiny boat and then I got the largest commission of my whole career for a 12 by three meter painting that again um, yeah, logic. Right. It was like, oh my God, but um it was yeah, things pop up, don't they? Uh,
1: I feel like life breathes a sigh of relief when you finally do it, you know, when you finally say <sighs> okay, I'm going to do this, I don't know how to. And life's just saying, oh, I've been holding these blessings for you for so long, they're getting really heavy. At last, I can send them to you. You know, here, take them off my hands and enjoy them. Exactly. And uh, that's, that's the way I sort of like to like to look at it. And the 11th hour thing is uh, I have a bit of a thought of this and I've thought thought of it a lot because I've, experienced it a lot we don't actually need it before the 11th hour we only need it when we you know at the 11th hour because we think we need it before but that's just security you know to to get through our fears we get it when we need it we don't need it before the 11th hour even though we think we do Mm. we actually don't Mm.
0: yeah yeah that's gold right there
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's it's helped me a lot when I'm thinking oh my goodness come on you've got to you've got to crack soon come on where's this solution yeah and then I think oh well clearly I'm I've just got to stay present and
0: yeah and And do the thing that's the next thing you know you don't need to have the publisher for your book until you've written it Bronnie and you've submitted it to how many publishers did you write to like it was amazing your story about finding yeah five regrets
1: was was rejected well my first book my little uh, photography and inspiration book it was rejected for three years straight and there were paper rejections in those days and it was about a three inch pile of rejection letters for that first one and a lot of them said it's beautiful but our color quote is full for the next three or four years whatever Mm -hmm. um but yeah five regrets was rejected by 25 publishers and so Mm -hmm. then i put it out myself i just thought oh well I'll stop here i'll do it myself and uh, and then i was offered a publishing contract with hay house in the same 24 hours as my daughter was born mm. and um yeah it's now in 30 languages with a movie in in the pipeline so
0: incredible you
1: don't know you just don't know
0: yeah mm and from that time um, you hinted at it before that your life's been thrown into the spotlight and um, it's changed in many ways I imagine just from the amount of people that now know of you and your story and it's a very personal intimate story in in all of your books all three you're very generous in sharing your mm. life and your ups and downs in the dark times as well as the light and um, I think that that's incredibly brave and it's a huge huge gift to humanity to know to be able to share in those stories because it helps us see ourselves and um, mm. I was wondering a little bit about boundaries for you because you're a beautiful example of creating loving boundaries in your work and life and I see you doing it on in, on social media and also through your newsletter I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what sort of boundaries you found help you to navigate through this new terrain that you're in Mm. Well, I think part of it I see, you know,
1: there's so many pieces of our lives that are already perfectly placed, you know, and we don't know the relevance of them till later, but my dad was a um in his time was one of the best guitarists out and quite famous cuz he had his own radio show and and we used to hang out with lots of the biggest names of country music they used to come and camp on our farm wow. when I was when I was a kid yeah and Did you meet John Williamson can I ask that <laughs> No because no because dad didn't like him Okay cool <laughs> I like him but dad didn't like him sure. Yeah um no it's like um Stan Costa Rick and Fell Carey Buddy Williams. Um, Yeah, I mean, yeah, lots of um, Reg Lindsay, um, Keen Sisters, all these people who are sort of around doing big Australian tours and the big names like sold-out shows right around Australia in the 70, early 70s. and, mm-hmm. But what I realised was some of my friends used to come home and it was in the days of autograph books, not selfies, you know, and um, they'd ask all these people for their autograph and these were just like, to me, they were just my parents' friends. Mm-hmm. But I remember witnessing, I was probably only eight or nine, but witnessing how differently my friends acted around these people because they were supposedly famous mm-hmm. and just making a judgment from a child's perspective that fame's nonsense like mm-hmm. it's they're just my parents friends mm-hmm. and um yeah i just made this this judgment and it stayed with me that that fame is not necess- i actually saw it as a negative thing mm-hmm. and um but also just saw it as it's not real and mm-hmm. that's that's actually been a blessing for me because I, I don't have anything to prove and what I have to prove is is to my soul that I've lived the best life ever because, yeah. because of how it's been shaped by dying people and regrets. All I have to do in this lifetime to get my own approval is to keep honouring my heart. Mm. And so – as my profile's grown, it, it's a bit of a tricky one because, you know, considering how many books I've sold, I have a very small social media following on uh, Facebook and Instagram compared to how many books I've sold, like I've sold over mm. a, million, a million books. And um, – And so, you know, part of that, I think, has been my energy in not wanting to grow and and be too big and all of that. But I have to also honour the message I've been, like I'm the messenger of regrets. And and so I have to honour that. And so I sort of made a deal with God a while back, like, I'm not going to play this game, this social media game in the way I'm expected to, the way society thinks I should. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to form very rich relationships with those who follow me um, and have it all about quality rather than quantity. Mm-hmm. And whatever else flows from that is fine. And I think in a way I've been judged a little bit based on that. Like there's, We, we have to say no to about 80% of the interview requests I get. Mm -hmm. So that's another big thing with boundaries that I just have to be very selective in who I choose to give my, my time and interview to. But there's a few other interviews I've not got that I've I've gone after, and I'm sure it, it's because you know part of the gauge is how big a following you've got on social media. But it's not that important to me as long as I'm living a life where my daughter and I can eat really, really well. You know, I'm a solo parent at this time in my life, and um, and you know the fact that we can eat well, that I can travel, that we feel safe and secure that's enough for me i want space to hang out with my my mates and everyone i love i want space for that i don't want to bust my guts you know checking social media uh, you know when i'm having a day out with friends and stuff like that and, and so i do i mean i take at least at least a week but often two weeks off twice a year completely off off social media and offline just mm-hmm. offline completely and whenever I go back onto into the public world from that, I just find it so bizarre. Mm. Um, not just my role in it, but just that people will post. What what really um, always sticks with me was my first day back on social media after about three weeks off a few years ago, and one of the people I was following posted a photo of her in the bath and the post was all about self-care and um, nurturing and stuff and I just looked at it and I just thought this is bizarre like self-care is about turning your phone off mm, not taking a photo and mm. saying to people you need to have a bath sometimes we all need to have self-care and, and time out like that but it, I just thought what a funny world we're living in mm. you know and had loads and loads of likes and comments and everything and and I just, I actually had to unfollow the woman and and I, I love her, you know, I think she's a delightful person and and she's doing some really great work in the world, but I just thought I don't want to use my time looking at photos like this. I only want to look at my time, and so as you know, I only follow like a really small amount of people online because I want my feed to be a happy feed, not one that's like Oh, my gosh, are we such a species that we have to take photos of ourselves in the bath to inspire each other?
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. And, it's, and so for me, I just have to I create boundaries by having an amazing assistant who filters a lot of stuff for me mm-hmm. and just putting, just having my priorities in the right order.
0: And having those priorities in the right order by listening to your own heart and keep coming back to how do I want to live my my days and they are finite and do I want to be glued to a phone? No. Exactly,
1: exactly. exactly. Yeah. Only last night I said to my cousin, he's, a, he's an amazing um, storyteller and he's out on a kayak all the time and he's healing himself through alcoholism and he's now into he's like doing forty five minutes yoga every day and he's he's down to three long necks a, you know of beer a day or whatever. He's you know, he's a great a great example of turning your life around. But um but I said to him, you know, you take so many beautiful... He's out on rivers all around the country at sunrise. He's, You know, he's gone today for six hours and he'll be paddling all day. And I said to him, you would inspire so many people if you could just put some of your photos up. And he does have a small Instagram page. And he said... Yeah, but I don't want to be like this. And he's pushed in, he's hunched his shoulders and he's pretending he's got a phone and he's moving his thumbs. And, mm. you know, I don't want to turn into one of these people glued to their phone. And I said, I get it. I said, I, I really get it. But, you know, if you're grounded enough in yourself, you can make choices to not actually do that.
0: You mm. can, yeah
1: can actually let go of that and enjoy it when uh, for a quick look and then get off it again, yeah. Mm.
0: And there's seasons too out there in our life and you're at a place where you don't have to use social media to get your message out there, Bronnie. Like it's already out there <laughs> in a huge way and it continues to grow with its own momentum and organic. Yes. Spread. Yeah, spread. Whereas some people are in that, you know, building phase and it needs to be a part of their or they choose for it to be a part of their um process of sharing their message so it's no judgment one way or another no it's it has a, choosing what's right for you yeah yeah and it has a very
1: very valid place in in especially in an entrepreneurial world where we're all being called to share our talents and Mm. you know really it's it's a phenomenal way to to reach people with social media and I am in a bit of a privileged position in the fact that my message just seems to be such a niche one and so (laughs) needed that it does keep its own momentum but but even still I've had to lift my game and support it you know at times
0: <laughs> i just say quietly i i love that you have only a, a hand a small smaller following than other people because that feels for me that i can then interact with you if, if it was massive and you had loads and loads of loads i would just not even comment because i'd think oh well it's, you don't need to. well there's no space for my interaction so i quietly really enjoy yes. having a small following <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, enjoy it. I enjoy it too because it means it's quality rather than yes. quantity and you know, half the people who have got a million followers—well, not not half. I mean, uh, <laughs> people who have got a million followers, uh, probably two or three hundred of those are from click farms. Mm. And so, you know, do you want to have people, or they're they people just wanting to bag you and mm. create debate and all of those sort of things? And I mean, that's part of being in the public eye. I I cop that too, you know. But, mm. um, and but I would much rather have authentic love flowing between myself and my community, my social media communities mm. than be proving myself to who that i mm. cause I've got a million followers. I couldn't think of anything worse than having a million followers to be honest. <laughs> oh my goodness. What a responsibility. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He- yeah. And let's shift a little bit now just um if we could talk a little bit about your creative process and then we'll wrap up for the day sure. i could talk to you all day Bronnie, but i'm sure you've got things to do sure, games yeah. to play with your gorgeous daughter so yes. um when you sit down to write or create something new what helps you to feel confident to begin or do you feel confident are there rituals affirmations or perhaps little gentle reminders that you tell yourself <sighs>
1: Well, I'm a meditator. I mean, I Mm meditate, I start every day meditating. I end every day meditating. So, um, so I feel there's a pretty clear channel to my creativity. I think the only ritual I have is that, that I have the space. So before I meditate, I always make sure uh, any emails that I have to attend, I make sure I have a quick look through all of those and, um, to ensure that nothing's urgent. So then I know in my mind, okay, they can they can all be answered sometime during the week. That's fine. They don't need to be attended to right now. But I always check them first so that I can relax into the process of creating. Um, and they don't distract me. I don't you know, if there's one that's urgent, I can knock it on their head. It's gone. And you know, in ninety nine percent of cases, every email can wait. You know, it's you and that's another thing about boundaries that that I I have it on my website, you know, I I have a, a useful information page on there now I've put on to cut back about three quarters of the emails we were getting because it was just, there was so much time put into responding to people out of kindness that was actually only out of kindness it wasn't um beneficial to my business and it was taking away from the real work and Mm -hmm. so um yeah so generally I just make sure okay no no um urgent emails everything else can wait and then I feel I can relax into it but no I just open my computer I always make a cup of black adder licorice tea that's that's (laughs) part of my creative process yes and um Sometimes I'll write at my desk where I am now because it's a really beautiful outlook um, just in, in the garden. It's green no matter which angle I look. Um, but sometimes I'll just plonk myself down on the lounge with um, with the footstool there and, and a pillow on my lap and the laptop on top of that. Mm-hmm. And I find if I'm writing long a long time, I like to do that because then I'm, I'm in comfy mode, comfort mode. And uh, But if I'm in like if I'm editing, I'm always at the desk. Yeah, it's it's a funny thing. It's it's like a uh, the professional or the personal side of myself. Like is, if I'm just writing a new work, it's it, uh, it's still in in the personal mode. Whereas if I'm editing, it's already in the professional mode. Mm. So it depends on that. Better. Uh, no, it's it's very much a just sit down, open it up. And because I've already meditated in the, that day, so I think that's what it is. That I just feel like, okay, God, I'm here. Let's go. <laughs> Flow through me, please. Um, yeah, that's that's sort of my process. I'm not I'm not a person who writes every day. And I I hear some amazing mentors saying, you've got to write every day. You've got to and It's like, oh, mm. no. You've just got to create the space. That's the commitment to me is not writing every day, but commit. um, creating the space so if it wants to come every day and I certainly write at least three mornings a week yeah.
0: Mm. Mm. Wonderful and um, if you were to have say you had a, a lady who she might be in her 30s or 40s perhaps her 50s and she has felt quite disconnected from her creativity and she's standing in front of you and there was something that you could share with her to help her reconnect with that part of herself because I believe that we're all creative mm. what what would you say to her that might help her along that journey of reconnecting with her creativity
1: I'd say go for a walk on the beach or go and lie down on a rainforest floor, um, go sit by a river, uh, turn and turn your phone off and leave it in the car or at home like don't have you don't have any form of technology with you um and and just just do that and keep doing it until it flows again because it will flow again if you can connect with with the earth and without technology though like i'm I'm really quite strong it's such a different experience to Mm -hmm. go for a walk along the beach or lie in the rainforest whatever um with your phone not on you or in your bag right beside you just that lack of electricity and electronics nearby. Mm. That's what I would say because the creativity is waiting to come through. It's always, it's there and it just wants you to reach a place of stillness and not block it with fear. So if if you can just go out and not try and solve it and just enjoy wherever you are, just allow nature to heal you, then the creativity will start flowing again. Yeah.
0: Beautiful, so beautiful. And um, I a- agree a thousand times. <laughs> Great, I got it right. Cool. Yeah, you got it right. <laughs> um, and finally, what are you creating in this season of your life, Ronnie? Mm, so I'm
1: doing this new novel, and um, and that's my now. I thought it was my main project, but a- about a week ago, I realised it's actually my joy, just my joy project. <laughs> I am actually going to step out a bit more into the public world by creating a video and podcast series. So mm. um, this has been suggested to me a lot over the years and I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. And, and everyone else is doing it. <laughs> why, would, why would I? <laughs> why would I, would I would yeah. Everyone else is doing it, yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I've actually, now that I've sat with it away from, uh, you know, it being connected to expectations of others yes. and thinking about how I could do it, um I think one of my my lessons in creating my boundary and um and having such a, a strong emphasis on my privacy has it's been a little bit of a downfall in the sense of I haven't done many videos at all. Um because I haven't really I never look forward and I've never really looked forward to them, but when I do them, I find I'm actually quite—you know—I'm good at them. I can do them mm-hmm. fine, and and I love, and my audience loves that. They love that and that connection. So I think in order to get my message to further people and to to help honor my role as the messenger for five regrets, that I need to allow the audiences to get to know me a little bit better, not just in my books, but I, um, in conversation like in this in 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 uh hear my voice sometimes and stuff like that and yeah so i'm you know what started off is just like oh i'll just do a series i'll just do three videos on this theme and then it's like oh no and all of a sudden now it's like okay you're doing a whole video series and a podcast series and whatever so that's what i'm working on at the moment and the um and the book is a luxury um that I'm also working on but it's but I'm very aware that the podcast and the and it will be a series um so it won't be an every week sort of thing Uh, again because I've I know my my capabilities and my commitment to joy um and I think I'm going to have a lot of fun with it I'm I'm going to I'm determined to I'm going to create it in a way that it's going to be a lot of fun for Mm. me
0: Mm. I love that. I can't wait to consume it in <laughs> and uh, I so relate. Um, when I realised oh, I could just do a series, you know, do eight episodes, and then you can have a break, and then come back to it when you're ready again. That's when I went. Oh, I think maybe I will make a podcast.
1: Yes, nice. well done. Mm. Yeah, and you can. You don't. I mean, a few people who are really big names that have interviewed me. They've, when I've run it by them, they've said, "Yeah, but don't do it every week. Like, do a series. It's so yeah. much easier." Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, wonderful. And how can people follow you online, Bronnie?
1: Uh, Bronnieware.com. Um, I have a monthly mailing list, a monthly newsletter, which is um, sort of more personal. I think I think it is than um, it is. yeah than what I put out on social media. But also bronnie.ware on Facebook and Instagram. And that's that's about it. And I, I'll probably up my YouTube channel down the track with this video series. But um, I'm not on Twitter. I didn't get into that. And, <laughs> you know, you can only do so much. <laughs> exactly,
0: those are plenty, plenty for people yeah, to connect with you, and absolutely. I just adored speaking with you today Bronnie it was really really a a, a highlight to my year so thank you so much for taking the time
1: (laughs) it's been been a joy for me too and thank you for your own wisdom and the fantastic questions that you've asked I really hope that um all of you out there listening have have connected with this because it's um it's been a joy for both of us hasn't it so Mm,
0: mm, absolutely and there we have it the 10th episode of season one If you head over to NicolaNewman.com, you can find the show notes and links to where you can find Bronnie Ware online. Until next time, be gentle with yourself, nurture your creativity and follow your heart. And I hope you have an awesome day ahead.